Happy New Year. I trust you've had a great, uh, a great season of, of rest and being with family and friends and renewed your vows and renewed your resolutions and all of that stuff that we do. Yes? Well, three of you, I guess. <laughs> Good to see you also, those of you who are joining us uh, online, whether you're at home or in a cabin or in a RV someplace or wherever uh, you are. I, uh, I got a text from someone uh, earlier this morning that said, you know, New Year's Eve couldn't keep me up to the next day, but last night did. <laughs> Some of you will be in the know. I just say 21-7, that's all I need to say, right? Uh, it is good to, uh, to be here, really is. I wanted to begin by, by simply just saying it is, it is so good to see you. There's something very special about a new year, is there not? There's just something it does to us, right? And, and so can we begin it by, by, uh, in any better way than simply by saying Jesus is alive and he's here. Jesus is alive and he is here. And that's a good statement to kind of uh, deal with when we are when we're thinking about this. We'll have a season talking about faith in in the in the months of January, maybe running a little bit into um, into February. But uh, there's something that is going on. We stand before a brand new year. It's it's a new time. A new resolution, a new start, and it's a new decision where we decide whether this is just going to be yet another day, yet another year. We're just going to turn kind of the leaf to another thing, and it's just like it always was. Same old, same old, same old. Or if this is going to be a time when things are truly new, a new start, a fresh start with a fresh faith for a new Year. There's just something that comes with this notion of new year that gives new motivation, right, for fresh faith and for a new engagement in so many, in so many ways. You know, faith shapes people. It really does. For some, it is just kind of run dry, become theory, and, and then to some, it becomes this kind of self-righteousness. Uh, but true Biblical faith is relational faith, and it is not life-robbing like it can sometimes be presented that it is life-giving and full of life for oneself. And I want us to deal with that a little bit uh, this, this morning. New faith, fresh faith, I should say, because it's not new, but it's fresh and fresh hope. If you brought your Bibles... <clears throat> I've got to uh, open it up to Colossians chapter 2. It's also going to come here uh, behind us. But Paul is facing this church that in so many ways is like ours, right? The, the church in Colossae was, was uh, located in this intersection of, of ideas that came from everywhere. It's a kind of a, a bustling uh, um what you would say, business place, right? In many ways, somewhat like the north, northern side of, of Dallas. What's going on here in, in North Dallas and, and in, in Louisville? There's so much to say and everything kind of flowed through the church. And Paul speaks to this church that was started by one of his friends, most likely Epaphras. And he talks to them about the significance of a fresh faith 
that can stand everything that comes their way. So from chapter 2, verse 1, the first eight verses, Paul says like this, I want you to know great, um, how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Jesus Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Can you imagine the stronger situation? Paul is writing this church, encouraging them to have a life-giving faith that impacts both their own lives and, and those around them, a faith that has the power to see them through with whatever comes their way. Maybe I could begin by by making a, sh- a little definition, right? We, we sometimes think of, of something as important as something that is distinct from something that is vital. <clears throat> you know, it's important. And some people think of faith as important. I want to argue that it's, a, it's vital or vitally important. It's important just like a job interview would be important. If you need a new job, you've got to show up for that interview. That's important, Yes. You know, the things that are, are truly important. If, if you know that there's something you, you really kind of want to get and, and you can't quite afford it, you, it's important that you save up so you can get to that goal. We, we get that. But if you are gravely ill, but you are able to, to kind of go through life still with a certain medicine, it's not just important that you take it. It is vitally important that you take it. See, there's a level of distinction and of urgency and importance when we talk about this here. So what Paul is talking about here is this faith that is vitally important to live the life that God has called us to live. And it is my hope and my dream and my, my prayer as it has been uh, over this uh, time that God would do a mighty work in our midst right here that we see a fresh faith for a new year that is vitally, vitally significant. You know, some people, when we talk about faith, it remains somewhat of a, of a theoretical thing. It's, it's about believing certain kind of statements about God's, and it becomes this theory thing, uh, and they don't see how it actually relates to practical, everyday life as it comes to us in so many ways. Well, let me tell you a story. Years ago, I was, I was a minister uh, in a church, and, and one of the assistants there, I'm going to call her Jill, were married to a guy called, let's call him George. Um, 
And, and they were one of these couples that they were just amazing. Uh, George was heavily uh, involved in church. Their home was there. I've been there many times. Uh, they just oozed out of trusting faith in God. Other people looked to them to see, now, wow, that is how a young family can live a life that clearly projects who Jesus Christ is. And then George fell over dead from a stroke or a heart attack. Just like that. Of course, Jill was devastated, and, and we all were. Nobody could believe it. What in the world was going on? What was God doing? And how does this work? And, and, and it, of course, everything suddenly seemed to be dark, and clouds were all over. But to the amazement of just everybody, Jill came, came through it much quicker than most have anticipated. And you know how it goes, right, with people of... Smaller faith, maybe they, they wondered and they began to talk and, and you know how some people can talk and then she, that's gotta be fake and she's putting on this smile and it can't be right and, and so I, I sat down to talk to her and I said, Jill, what's going on? And she said, Pastor, when George died, I thought there would be no more light. There will be no more life. Everything was, oh, I could not envision anything uh, without the life that we had. And so I was on my knees day in and day out. I read scripture page up and page down. I poured myself into the God. I need to know what's going on. And, And then suddenly I got to this chapter 16 of the book of Acts where Paul and Silas were in prison. And they sang praises to God. And, and, and I saw how they'd been beaten, how they were devastated, how they were put in the blankets of holes for the prison. And yet they sang praises to God. They were not ever doubting that, that God was still engaged and involved in their lives, even in those kind of moments. And, and as the story, of course, is going in, in the Acts chapter Chapter 16, the, you know, chains are falling off their legs and their arms and, and the prison gates are opening and, and they can walk out. And she said, Pastor, I, I read that and it was like a lightning bolt hit me and suddenly I realized that if I just trust God, he has not left me. He is still there and he's still engaged in my life. He was carrying me through and also in my life he will let these, these burdens go and he would let the chains fall off and, and that began to happen. She said, as more, as much as I began to kind of uh, move my prayer in, in that direction and as much as God began to work in my life, not instantaneously, but, but slowly, but surely these chains fell off my arms and my legs and the, and the prison gates of my heart that had kept me down began to open up and I could walk out free. And again, trust that God is there in even the most difficult of moments. It was like a fresh faith for a new situation. Can we imagine a greater example than that? 
What an example of a fresh faith for a new time, for a new situation. Let's call it here for a brand new year. And Paul writes for that purpose. That's why he said, I want your hearts to be encouraged, joined together so that you may have all the riches of complete understanding and knowledge. To this church that is located in an ancient setting that it could be somewhat comparable to ours. His desire was to see them engaged with a fresh faith for these times. And I want to dwell on the text here. If you have it there, I'm going to dwell on some of the words that are there that are so riveting. And if you had, have a place to put a note, there might be a note. You may want to take on a few things here. When it says, for example, in the beginning, I want you to know uh, how greatly I'm struggling. As this text is translating it here, that word is agona, the Greek word from which we get the word agonize. I want you to know how much I'm agonizing for you. And you're thinking, how's prayer? I mean, is prayer not just kind of fold your hands, say to God whatever you want, and then you're done? I mean, how in the world can that be agonizing or a struggle in any way? Well, it wouldn't have been if that's the kind of prayer Paul has talked about, but prayer is never about asking God to do what we want him to do. Right? Prayer is not even about asking God to do our bidding for us, nor is it about approaching him so that he would be okay with what what we're going to do anyway. That's not prayer. Prayer is about asking God to move in our lives in such a way that that we see this life-changing and life-giving kind of engagement that he can have in a person's life. Don't miss this, friends. Don't, Don't miss this. True prayer is to recognize what it means to seek into God's will and to come to understand it so that Our wills can be changed and come into agreement with that. And that can be tough. If you're not sure how that can be tough, have you ever tried to get a child to see things your way? (laughs) Hello? And it's not enough that you just kind of pull, you know, lower down the hammer and say, you better do what I tell you because that works nothing. You need to help them to see that this is better for you, yes? That's what God is trying to do sometimes, and that creates and, and involves us in a way that it becomes a struggle, that we move our will, our opinions, our ideas, that we think this will be good for me, and to say, hey, how does that align with God? So that I may rejoice in, in how he wants me to be his disciple. That's that struggle. I make a distinction sometimes also with students when I talk to students and say, don't confuse what it means to think about something and then when something crosses your mind. So often they say, yeah, I thought about that. And what they meant to say was, yeah, it crossed my mind. 
Because to think about it means that you have, you're wrestling with it. You're trying to understand what's going on. You write down some things. You think some more. And you have to adjust what you wrote down. And, and you're thinking again. And, and, you, and so what? You looked at things from many ways and thought through it in a deeper way. That's thinking about things. Yes? Now, so often we do the same with prayer. Yeah, I prayed about that. And what we meant to say was, well, some words kind of cross my lips in that direction. We're not saying, yes, we have really wrestled with that in prayer. I was standing before God. I was calling out to God, I don't understand. You've got to help me see this in a new way. And, and then as we pray more, we, we get to see, oh, now I see his wisdom and his grace. We're noticing the difference. That's what what Paul is after here, and that's why he wants us to pray in the Holy Spirit. Again, that's not a theoretical kind of notion. When the Scripture says that the Spirit comes to us in our weaknesses and helps us pray when we don't even know how and what to pray, the Spirit will intercede on our behalf before the Father. Don't turn that into abstract talk. There's a reality here. Only the Spirit can reveal to us as individuals and as a church what it means to find God's will. And so if we are after that, why is it that we so often go and we listen in every place where we know God's spirit may not be instead of seeking the places where God's spirit reigns to hear his voice. I want you to know how great of a struggle I'm in for you, Paul said, that you may be Christians with a fresh faith for a fresh time or a new time and a new year. Look at this text again. and It's just so riveting here with some of these little things that we can miss, right? So I pray for you and I want you to know and you know how much I'm engaged so much that I can rejoice in the order I see among you. You notice this? Not, not the order that I have heard is where you are. Not, not the order that I hear rumors that exist in your place. Not, not the order that I sense may be where, where you gather. But that I see. He, he's so engaged that he might as well have been there. Physically he's not. But he's so engaged that it feels like. He is. So he's able to say, I rejoice to see how well ordered you are. Now that kind of level of prayer engagement will create a fresh faith. Now if we look at at that verse again a little bit, I'm in verse 5, as you know, if you follow the text, you will see also that word for order and it's hard to do because we have so many thoughts. When we hear that word order, everything floods to mind. This is what it means. And different people would hear different things when they hear it. 
But the word is really a word that, that kind of belongs in the military language. And Paul is, is using that word not to say anything about soldiers, but to say something else. And, and the word is simply referring to the fact that, that, that to win any kind of battle, the soldiers need to be in their assigned places according to the rank and the gifting and the quality and the training they have received. It doesn't work for a soldier to show up when they feel ready, yes? Oh, I need to finish my breakfast first. I know the enemy is out there, but, you know, let me finish up here first. And so, for Paul, there is no doubt that the battle is very real. And so he's warning the church in the strongest way. Look at verse 8. Again, to be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. That sounds okay. Right. Notice here. This is where we are when Paul is, is writing this. So as Paul sees it, this is the way the devil can attack. And you see, I, I rejoice when I see that among you, this is the reality that, that you are ordered in such a way that you all get engaged. That the intercessors are where they're supposed to be. They're on their spot. The evangelists are where they're supposed to be. The Bible teachers are where they're supposed to be. The, the family counselors are where they're supposed to be. And on and on. As one Greek scholar is, is saying here, he said, to capture the meaning of that word, you simply just need to realize that without that, the battle cannot be won. You're listening? That's powerful stuff right here. So the encouragement for Paul is not to say something specific about a specific order, but to say everyone is needy. You are needed in God's kingdom. He has gifted you in a very specific way. And he needs you here. So, so here from that, the church is called to be engaged in the battle on God's behalf. And he's calling us and letting us know that the reason he called you and you is for you to be part. There's no room when you're engaged in a battle to just kind of show up whenever you feel like it. I rejoice when I see the order. It reveals that here's a church that understands that fresh faith for this new time is necessary. But this is so packed. I should just have stayed with that one verse pretty much, actually, when he goes on to say, and the strength of your faith in Christ. That word strength is not all that helpful because nobody really knows what that means. What it means to have a strong faith. You know, we can come up with all kinds. But that's not the word that is used really either here. The, the Greek word here is steadfastness. Firmness in the faith is the opposite of what you see over in, in the Ephesians when Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And he says to them, you know, you're, you're like children. You're being tossed to and fro by whatever wind of knowledge kind of comes your way. And you don't do that. You need to be like, like people with steadfast 
firm faith that, that knows where to go and that spends their time, as we just said, in engaged prayer. He's relating to that, not Paul, but Scripture is in, in Hebrews chapter 5, 2, and said, by, by the time that it's gone, you should now be able to teach others, but really, you still need milk. But here he says, for a fresh time, fresh faith is engaged, and, and that allows us to engage the battle that is so strong. I rejoice. Friends, could that be us? 2022? Yes? Could it be that Paul is not just talking to Colossae, but he's talking to First Baptist Louisville? Oh my, for 22, could that be something special? I think it could. So many things are going on. We know like them that all winds of all kind of stuff is coming our way these days. Fresh faith for a new time. People of that kind of fresh faith are people that are unequivocally and unbendably and and unstoppably engaged in trying to come to know God's will and live it out as a church. In the society, committed to Christ alone. He's talking about spiritual discipline. I bet some of you made New Year's resolution that involved a Fitbit. I'm going to spend another 10 minutes on whatever machine, yes? Some of you may even have spent money on these machines right here. We, because why? We recognize this is important, right? We, we have to do something for the sake of our bodies. We live in a modern world. We eat trash, right? We, we, we're not getting enough exercise. We're sitting still. This is just modern life. And so we need to do these other things. We call it what? Physical disciplines, right? So this is about being engaged for the sake of having a healthy body. Yep. And we buy a Fitbit because God forbid if we should ever take a step that is not counted. (laughs) But what about spiritual exercise? Paul says that when he writes to Timothy, you know, Physical exercise is good for something, but spiritual exercise is good for everything. I think the incredible thing here with Christ and with life in Christ is that we cannot exhaust the richness and the depths of his grace and his love. Just think of it this way, right? In the emotional level, the more you engage in that kind of spiritual discipline and walking with Christ the more you'll be able to see that your ability to receive love and to give it will be strengthened on the level of will. You'll see that you have new insight into God's ways and your willingness to actually follow them on on a level of, of health, if you will. You'll recognize the restoration that is going on, the healing of your inner being, a restoration of the wounds of your soul that they may be healed as well. Christ 
offers us for this new year of fresh faith. I'm going to end, but let me just ask you to spend some time this week contemplating the pictures that is here in verse 7. Paul gives the most amazing kind of pictures for us to see what that looked like. The first kind of picture is the picture of a tree. He said, being rooted. A tree that stands, like he says in Psalm 1, planted by the waters, deeply rooted that no winds can blow it off. Build up. Brings our mind to the issue of a foundation that is strong enough to carry a big building. And then we are brought to this imagery of the school situation, being taught, established in the faith, just as you were taught, that there are some things we learn and we know the importance of that, that we may be able to do things we otherwise couldn't do because we did not know. And then this final imagery he puts up with a single word, overflowing. Which brings our minds to this river that flows through and, and it flows over and, and brings fresh, fertile ground, so to speak, to arid and dried out areas of our lives. Oh my, I was praying this week, how do I, how do I bring this to a close? What can we do where this becomes not Yet another year, yet another sermon, yet another time to sing some songs. But actually, a resolution in the depth of our being that we want to have a fresh faith for a fresh new year. Could it be that the time we'll spend now some of you may want to get up. Many of you may want to get up. The church as such may want to get up. Imagine where you are at home or wherever you are. You may want to just get on your knees. Just say, can we together, not just me, but us, ask God to pour out his spirit, to allow us to feel his movement in our hearts and our lives as individuals and as a church. Say, we, oh, Lord. In this very place, want to be characterized as a people, a people of fresh faith for a new time. Can we stand? I know this is not a church where you used to kind of do a whole lot of movement in the, pool, in the pews. And I'm not going to force this by any stretch of imagination. By, but maybe the Lord has called you, moved you. You want to come down. We don't have to come down and make decision. Maybe just pray. Maybe you just want to hold someone's hand and say, I need to pray right now. We're not playing game. We are engaged in the battle, which is real, as Paul said. Did not fathom, he could not fathom people who just said, we're just showing up. They were there to be empowered by the Almighty. Father, would you do your work? in us, through us, among us, that we may know you well 
We may see your heart. And we may yearn to be part of your work in ways that we at this very moment cannot even fathom. But when this year is over, we look back and we say, Oh, Lord, my God, oh, my, oh, my, I had never known what you could do. In your name we pray. Amen. However the Lord moves in your heart, come on.